just want to encourage us as a church, let us continue with the mindset that I, I you, you can hear a mindset in worship, and I, that may sound like a strange way to say it, but I don't know if you had this sense where it was like, ah, I could just keep going on what a beautiful name and crying out for a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit, and I actually think that the Lord wants to in, have an encounter with us in a unique way today. We'll get there in just a moment, but if you're new here, you can turn to your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 1. We started a series recently in 1 Peter. This is a good time to jump in with us, so thank you for being with us this morning. I'm excited for what God seems to be doing and building in the church, but he's very clearly active in our midst. And you know, that activity reminds us of a few things, and I just want to draw our attention to this. It reminds us that our God is not static. He's not sitting back with his people. He's leaning in and he is present and he is active in our midst. And what does that remind us of? Well, it reminds us that God is alive. It reminds us that he is not just alive and watching from afar or some kind of aloof deity, but he is active in our lives. And in the life of the believer, that can bring great comfort and in the life of those who have not yet submitted themselves to Jesus Christ, it can be a bit disconcerting because there are things that we will face in life that we don't understand. And we wonder, how can this active and present God lead to these types of moments? And it's almost as if Peter, who himself was with Jesus, anticipates this question coming in the life of believers. And he begins to answer that in his letter that's going out amongst those who have been brought in to the family of God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And yet they've been sent out and they've been scattered in a way that may be confusing to some of those who were in the church. They, here they were in what's modern day Turkey. Here they are in this place that is ruled by Rome and it's so influenced by the governance of the day an oppressive governance, a government that is actually hostile toward Christianity. And this is where we begin to realize that there are objections that we might attempt to come up with today that Scripture actually clears those hurdles of our own mind. And so having those hurdles of our own mind cleared, we can begin to understand some of the core tenets of our faith about our identity in Jesus Christ. Why that's so important for us to understand. Why it's important for us to have a clear picture of who we are as Jesus' people in the world today. Because we will face things in this world that want to take away from that identity. They want to undermine that identity. We wrestled last week with the question of, do we exist to glorify God or does God exist to serve us? We came to the realization that we exist to glorify God. And so here we come to two of the key themes of the book of 1 Peter. This week we'll be looking at the subject of suffering. And next week we'll be looking at the subject of personal holiness. What a strange gift suffering is. Have you ever received a strange gift? Thank you for not answering publicly. You may be sitting next to the person that gave you that strange gift. Well, we have something to talk about later over lunch. I've received strange gifts before where you realize, is this a gift or is this a hint? I remember when my boys were about the age of 10, in their stocking one Christmas, I gave them deodorant. That's a strange gift. And they acknowledged as much to me. I said, son, I want you to see this gift and realize this. I love you, but you stink. 
It's both my boys. It's a strange gift. There, there are times that we give a strange gift, and then there are times that we receive a strange gift. In the life of the believer, suffering can be a strange gift. God's saying that he loves us. But he doesn't say that we stink. He says he wants to shape something in us. Uniquely designed to get after our hearts So as were the people that have been brought in in order to be sent out, how is it that we should go? Well, let's begin by seeing in the very first words today, 1 Peter chapter 1. Read with me beginning in verse 6. In this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls and concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of christ and the subsequent glories it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. What's one of the marks? Rejoicing and joy. Suffering is a strange gift if the intended fruit is joy. If you and I were to try to choose something that's going to be the means by which we rejoice and have joy, how many of us choose suffering? Not it. I don't think I would choose suffering. And yet God says that there is a purpose to our suffering. And what is that purpose? Well, it is the purification of his people. There is a purpose to our suffering. Now today, my intent is not to do a deep dive into the doctrine of suffering, but it is to begin to set out what I believe that God has called us to in the culture of this church, how it is that we are to understand suffering, how it is that we are to interact with those who are going through a prolonged season of suffering. And I want to do it this way. I want to help us to understand that joy is the mark of the people of God. And suffering is the means by which that joy is produced. Notice that what I'm doing here is I'm beginning to say that the point of the Christian life is not suffering. Let's be honest. Anyone who's alive, believer or not, you will walk through times of suffering. There will be trial. There will be hardship. There will be times of want. There will be hostility and opposition. But what is the mark of the believer in the midst of what is a common to man problem? Rejoicing and joy. You know, that's supernatural living, isn't it? 
That's not living as if we're living for this world today. That's, that's a, a living that is beyond this world. It's otherworldly. It's a living that is for the kingdom that we've been redeemed into. It's a living that is for the people that we have been redeemed into. It's something that goes far beyond our circumstances or these momentary trials, as Peter says here. It's something that looks to a day to come when rejoicing will happen without suffering. We realize that in the midst of the Christian life, in this strange gift of suffering, that the point of God's bringing that suffering into our life is not our comfort. It is conformity into the image of the one who saved us. Do we understand suffering in that way? I, like many of you, will try to avoid suffering at all costs. I try to go the opposite direction. Does it look like this will lead to hardship? Let's not go there. Does it look like there will be opposition to this? Well, maybe we shouldn't talk about that. That is a temptation that's common to any of us. And yet, in the midst of understanding suffering, we realize that there is a rich life for the kingdom of God that we are called to even today. This is a part of the paradox of our faith, isn't it? Two things being true at the same time that don't seem to complement one another. How about I put it this way? If, you're, if your theology of suffering is so deep that you don't pray for someone's healing, your theology of suffering might be disordered in your understanding of who God is. If your theology of the gift of healings is so far that it says that if you're not healed, there is something wrong with your faith, your theology of healings may be disordered in your faith. Now I understand those are stark comments to make, but here's the truth of what God's word shows us. Just because we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb doesn't mean we won't walk through things that are common to man. We will walk through suffering in this life. Church, are you suffering today? If you are, my intention is for this passage to be a great comfort to you. If you're not, my intention is that this passage prepares you for the day when you are. You know the worst time to try to develop a theology of suffering is when you're suffering. See, we need to be equipped as God's people. We need to be prepared for what he tells us is coming. We need to be prepared for the things that will happen as a result of our faith. That hostility that you, that you experience in the workplace when you might share something about your faith and it all of a sudden seems like you've been shunned by your coworkers. You need to be prepared for that moment. Let us not be surprised when the world acts like the world. That's what scripture tells us will happen. There are some who will close their ears to the message of the good news, whose hearts will be hardened to that. Does it say that because of that, that we're supposed to stop, stop sharing our faith? No. We live in a paradox. These tensions that we face in life. Here we are called, in this strange gift, to be marked by joy, and a part of how that joy is going to be produced is through suffering. That's the purification that is going to come. And yet we realize that suffering is not 
everything. The purification that we are facing means that our trials are going to purify our faith. What's the illustration that Peter uses here? He uses a precious metal tested by fire. Gold where the impurities have been brought to a boil and and brought to the top and then skimmed off the top to where it is as pure as possible. All of the impurities have been removed and yet we realize that even that is going to perish someday. The testing of our faith is for these days as we await the day in his presence. I was reminded recently that even those that Jesus healed here on earth went on to pass away. See, healing is but a glimpse of the power of God that those who are in Jesus Christ will experience the benefit and the blessing of forever. Suffering for those who are not in Christ is a glimpse of their eternal future as well. The pain and the gnashing of teeth that will have no end. It should sober us to think about suffering in our faith. It should sober us to the point of being careful how we minister and walk through life with those who are suffering in our midst. I'm rejoicing that so many in the church, I think that's close to 70% of our church are involved in community groups. I love that. You know, in those groups, you're going to have someone who's going to walk through a moment of suffering, even this term. I don't say that to put some kind of weight on the community group leaders. I don't put some kind of, say they have all the answers for you. No, they're there to point you to the one who does. We need to be prepared for those moments. Can I encourage us as a church, by the grace of God, if we don't know the right things to say to someone who's suffering in that moment, may the Spirit of God give us the power to zip it. And just be there for one another. I'm going to invite a friend to the stage, Chris Yates. Chris is someone we've been praying for for years as he has been battling cancer. And I asked him to come and share an update with us this morning. I asked him if the rumors that I've been spreading around the church about him are true. See, my concern is, is that we get to a place where we begin to understand suffering so deeply that we forget to pray in faith for the gift of healing. Chris, a couple of weeks ago, I got a text message. That is an answer to a long prayer. So long ago, my dad was part of the original prayers. Yes, amen. Would you share with the church what the Lord has done? Yes. Um, just kind of bringing it up to today, the most recent thing. I've been battling cancer for about two, two and a half years. And um, it's been a process of, you know, two, uh, two actually three surgeries, uh, two different rounds of chemo. But the latest thing I was dealing with was there were two, I have colon cancer, uh, had colon cancer. Um, the um, latest thing that I was dealing with, <laughs> amen. That's a glorious amen. word. Amen. Had. Yeah. 
So the most recent was the colon cancer had spread to my liver, uh, and there were two spots on my liver. So I was going through chemo for that, and my uh, oncologist said, um, after several rounds of chemo, um, I think the next step is for us to refer you to an radiology oncologist and, and look at zapping those two spots. I mean, the chemo is not going to get rid of it completely. It can shrink it, but it's not going to be gone completely. So he sent me to this radiologist, and Bev and I went and um, met with him, great doctor, and he gave me like three different options that we can treat it and zap it. Um, but he said, well, we really need to have an MRI first to get a really clear picture. I'd had a CAT scan, uh, but the MRI would be much more clear. So I went in for the MRI and had that done, and then the next step was to get the results from him. While I called, he was on vacation. So in the meantime, it was now time for me to go back to my oncologist for my next chemo treatment, which I've been having uh, every two weeks. So I'd have a, a week treatment, a week off, and then treatment again. And so it was now time to go back to my oncologist for the treatment. Well, he had told me before, if, if this is uh, the case with the radiologist, if they can zap it, I won't need chemo anymore. So I'm going to this appointment thinking, hey, maybe I can ask Dr. Grove if I can just not have any chemo today because I'm going to be seeing the radiologist, and if we're going to zap it anyway, and you said I don't need chemo if we do radiology, maybe I cannot have chemo today. So that's what I went there hoping for. And so, um, and I knew I could trust him. He's, I mean, they're just so trustworthy. It's never, ever an issue of money, like, you know, thinking he's going to say, oh, you've got to have this chemo treatment just because they're after the money. It's never that way. I can really trust this doctor, which is amazing. So, um, so I went in, and um, he had, I had not gotten results from the radiologist, but he had, he had the results. And so I got the report. He said, I got the report. Isn't that great news? And I'm like, well, I looked at it online, but I didn't understand a lot of things. And, and he said, no. He said, it's really good. And I said, well, what, what are you seeing? He goes, there's no cancer. It's gone. And uh, <laughs> amen. So I was kind of just like in a state of shock. I mean, I'm just like, man, I was just hoping to bargain and got, not get chemo today. And I've got, really got a good deal here. So, um, uh, and then I said, well, what about going to the radiologist? He goes, what for? There's nothing there for him to do. He goes, you're in complete remission. There's nothing there, so you don't need to go to the radiologist. And I was still even in shock at that. I was still trying to process it all, and I just looked at his eyes, and he had the biggest smile on his face, and he was so happy, and then all of a sudden it sunk in. This is real. You're healed. And so um, just thank you so much for all your prayers. I mean, just I've been so many, many, many prayers. So uh, God's just so good. So you went in hoping for no chemo, God said no cancer. Amen, yes, right, yeah. Amen, yeah, yes. But in those two and a half, three years, that's not been without suffering. Mm -hmm. It's not been without trial. Probably even moments of weariness or even doubt. Mm -hmm. What would you say the Lord has been teaching you in the midst of that? Yeah, I think it's just like he just gives you just a supernatural um, peace and joy. I mean, you know, first of all, it's all God. And, and, and having Bev as my wife is just amazing. She's such, such support, such a prayer warrior. And, you know, having somebody like that, that, you know, both of us never looked at it as like dire, oh, woe is me. Um, and I think it just really increases your faith and um, 
You know, a lot of times people say, you have such a good attitude for having cancer. Well, it's, it's not me. It's not like, oh, I've got to have a positive mental attitude. I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, it's not that at all. I just heard you slip back into old photography session. <laughs> just a little happy, bit. Happy, happy. Happy, happy. Yeah, no, there it is. <laughs> Rocks uh, my soul. <laughs> that's good. Um, <laughs> it was just God does it. I mean, it's nothing that I could do. God just gives you the supernatural peace. And as you just seek him and just the prayers of his people, I mean, just so many people, cards that come texts that come. Uh, I got a text from Eric uh, uh, Chen like after the news and he said, um, I'll just you know, pull it out just so I don't you know, butcher it here. You don't mind, do you, Eric, if I share this? <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> okay, good. Not at all. Let's yeah. read it together. <laughs> Hi, Chris. This is Eric Chen. I just wanted to share with you that last night in the middle of the night, I felt led to pray for healing for you. And then I received this amazing text from Danny this morning that you, that you, that you sent out that you no, no longer need chemo because there's no sign of cancer in your body. I hope this encourages you, but it has certainly built my faith uh, in being faithful to pray. So, you know, it's just, that, and those kinds of things kept happening. And then I, uh, with, um, um, uh, um, sorry, my mind just blanked here with the, uh, uh, give me a second. Point them out. Let's let's find them together. Yeah, Jill, Jill, Jill. Jill okay, Starks. yeah, Jill Starks. Uh, we talked with her yesterday, and I had sent a. Um, Ron has been such a prayer warrior. When this first happened, I've got still have this precious note that Ron handwritten sent sent to me in the mail. I've got a stack of cards and things, and Ron's note is among those. But Jill shared with us yesterday that she had gotten the news from. Um, from Ron about the healing, and she had said, I think just the night before, I believe it was, that she just was um, woken up to pray for me and for healing, and then especially even for Bev, I think even more of the prayer was focused on praying for Bev and helping her walk through all this. Because the thing is this, when you walk through something like that, you know, God gives me the grace to handle it, but I think <laughs> your spouse, the person on the other side of it, it's just as challenging for them or maybe even more challenging. Mm -hmm. And so just to have the prayers, I think many times it's like we're praying for me, but it's like, man, pray for my wife. You know, she needs it just as much. So uh, God's just done so many things like that through the, his people. It's been so encouraging. Church, what I want you to hear in this moment is there is not a fatalism to our faith when it comes to suffering. I want you to hear that again. There's not a fatalism to our faith. In other words, we're not just resigning ourselves to suffering. We pray in faith. Let me put it this way. Those moments in the middle of the night, the day before, when somebody comes to mind, matter in the kingdom of God. Don't ever apologize for pausing to pray for someone. Look what the Lord can do in those moments. Chris, thank you not only for sharing this testimony of what God has done, but never losing the joy of your salvation. There were many times I got those reports or that brief update, kind of passing update, and it did seem dire. And that's not something that you or a doctor or chemo can overcome, but God can. Amen. Amen. And God did. Amen. And praise God. Church, let's rejoice together. Amen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I want us to notice what happened there. The Lord didn't answer the initial prayers, but that didn't stop them from continuing. The Lord didn't answer prayers after a year or two. The Lord's timing is perfect. 
And the Lord's timing is perfect in unanswered prayers as well. Because his purpose is not Chris or mine or your comfort. It's conformity to the image of Christ. If you talk with Chris, if you talk with Bev, you'll hear how it is that God has been shaping and molding them. A lot of times today we like to use this phrase of spiritual formation. Do we realize what we're going to walk through at times that will lead to a healthy spiritual formation? Church, let us be equipped for the days that we will face ahead. Let's also remember that because we have a a healthy and rich understanding of suffering, it doesn't mean we never grieve. Let me point us to something here in this passage. Look back with me, if you will. Verse 6. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Well, let's start with if necessary. That's a reminder that God is on his throne and sovereign. And he is involved in our lives. Here's my concern today. Too many of us think about God the way that I thought about a state trooper this week. We go about our day. I'd been driving for a few miles. I hadn't checked the rearview mirror in a few moments. And when I did, there was the state trooper. Now your laughter tells me you know exactly what happened in that moment. Straightened up a little bit. I wasn't even doing anything wrong. His lights weren't on. He was just there. How many of us treat God like I was treating that state trooper? When we become aware of his presence, we straighten up a little bit. See, the scriptures reveal God as not that state trooper, but a loving father who's saying, come to me. A loving father who's saying, there's something that you're going to walk through that has been specifically designed for something in your heart or in your life. That is not yet mine. Come to me in the midst of that. Church, our understanding of who God is, is critical in those moments of life. Don't treat him as a state trooper. Treat him as a loving father. Who is designing the things that you are walking through when necessary to change us. What does it say there? It says at the end of that, though you have been grieved by various trials. Yesterday, we were gathered in this same room with a family who was grieving the loss of Jerry Corbett. We grieve because we're going to miss him. But we rejoice because of whose presence he's in. Church, our understanding of suffering has to be quite comprehensive. We're going to return to that theme a good bit throughout the scriptures. But let us remember that the sufferings that we walk through are the means to the end of being marked by joy and rejoicing in our Christian faith. How do you view suffering today? How is it that you look at suffering and understand it as a part of the purification of your faith? Those are questions that we each individually must wrestle through. Let's continue on in verses 8 and 9. We see affection for Jesus Christ. We rejoice because we have affection for Jesus Christ. 
That relationship that we have with him is the most important of all relationships. Let's look at those verses together. In this you rejoice, excuse me, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, that is, the salvation of your souls. You know, the nature of our Christian faith is not a bunch of rules. That's the state trooper mindset. A bunch of rules. Straighten up and fly right. Do the right things. Be the right person. Earn the right kind of salvation. Earn the the next level of favor from God. No, the, the nature of the Christian faith is love for Jesus Christ gratitude for his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. A life that says that we love his work. We love him. Peter is one who walked with Jesus. He saw his very nature. And he says to the people, though you don't see him, you love him. As I was studying over the last few weeks, I came across the story of a widow who had a locket that she never opened. In that locket, people wondered for years, well, she's a widow. I wonder if that's the the picture of her late husband. I wonder if that's some kind of meaningful trinket from something that she walked through in life. And and this locket hung around her neck as a widower. As she walked through life, people would wonder, what's in the locket? And as the time of her passing drew near, they they opened that and found this verse. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Church, I wonder today, do we cling that closely to this relationship with Jesus Christ? Do we cling that closely to these truths that though we do not see him, we love him? Though we do not now see him, we rejoice. When I read a passage like that, I might think, well, that just seems redundantly repetitive. Why does it say it again but include the word now? Well, because our faith has what we call an already and not yet component. We can love Jesus today. And yet there is a day coming that we will live in the fulfillment of the promise of his love for us as his people. There's a day coming and it informs how it is that we live today. Though we don't now see him, we believe in him. And we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When people walk you walk through various trials, do they see you expressing joy in a way that they can't explain this gets back to that supernatural living that we were just talking about a moment ago it's not explained by anything in this life but it's filled with glory church let's make people wonder about us in the right kind of ways what do they have that i'm missing oh you have affection for jesus you know our relationships are driven by a number of things. But this relationship that we have with Jesus Christ is the most important relationship in our lives. Now you may think, if if you're new here, you may think, all right, pastor, you're talking about this and, and you're saying this in a way that sounds like that's more important than my spouse. Can I be clear, your relationship with Jesus is more important than your relationship with your spouse? Just so there's no doubt of what I'm saying. Because 
your relationship with Jesus is going to inform the fruit of your relationship with your spouse. Oh, I believe that with all my heart. I've seen it in mine and Stephanie's marriage. I've seen that in countless marriages around this church. See, our lives are driven by our loves. If you were to come across someone and says, well, I, I, don't, I don't like old-timey movies, you may think, well, that's okay as a personal preference. And then they meet someone who loves old-timey movies. And you come across them a few years later and you realize, wait a minute, you're at an old-timey movie marathon. I thought you didn't like movie marathons. Yeah, but I love them. See, our loves direct our lives. There may be things that you don't prefer and then you got married and now you prefer them. That's called wisdom. Remember the two words that will keep you married for a long time, gentlemen. Yes, ma'am. Our loves direct our lives. Do you begin to see how this relationship with Jesus Christ is the most important one? Our love for Jesus will begin to direct our lives. The affections that we have for him, the things that we cling to, that we have this already nature of. Though we don't see him, we believe in him. And it directs our lives to a joy and rejoicing but what about the not yet? What's well, verse 9? We obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. This is pointing to a day when our faith will be made sight in the presence of God. Church, that day is coming. It's not mythical. It's not far off. It's always drawing ever closer. Already and yet not yet trying to read my own handwriting this morning and it's not going well for me give me just a moment and we'll pray for an interpretation we have the purification of our faith we see the affections that we are called to have for Jesus Christ and lastly what a privilege it is to live in this day what a privilege it is to live in this day See, Peter begins to break down some things in a couple of different categories. He, he uses some history, and he uses the cosmos. How does he do that? Well, the time that we are living in in redemptive history is wonderfully clear about something. Our Savior lived and set an example for us. We as his people no longer are wandering about the desert trying to learn how to live for his glory. He lived a life. Jesus lived a life that set an example for us how to live for his glory. His death secured our salvation. The sacrifice, the servant sacrifice, the sufferings that he faced on our behalf have secured our salvation. What a glorious time to be alive. What a privileged time to be alive. His death overcame this life's final giant. The thing that modern medicine is constantly seeking to overcome 
Jesus took care of on the third day when he rose from that grave. And his ascension reminds us that he didn't overcome death to go on and die himself. No, he is living and active. What is he doing? Well, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Simultaneously, he's preparing a place for us. And even as he's preparing a place for us, he is interceding on our behalf before the Father, pleading his own work over us. What a privileged time of life that we live in in redemptive history. And yet we find ourselves longing for the day, even as I said just a moment ago, that our faith will be made sight. How often our faith can become fragile because of the things that we actually see in front of us. That relationship that's broken. That home that seems to be falling apart. That workplace that's either underemployed or unemployed. The hostility that you find from those around you. Just the ache of this fallen world that we live in. How often our faith can become fragile as we await the day when we will be with him in glory. See, Peter's writing this to us to strengthen that faith. To tell us, you live in a privileged time in redemptive history. Well, how does he do that? Well, he uses the prophets and the angels. Historically, he uses the prophets. Let's let's look at a couple of things. He says that the Holy Spirit makes grace known to us. He points us to Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they inquired carefully. They inquired carefully, like I had to of my own handwriting here just a moment. They received a message. They wrote it down, but it didn't make sense because it talks about glory and suffering together. And it does not make sense in this world to see those two things together. The prophets did not understand fully what it was that God was up to, but they were pointing to Christ. And they inquired carefully about it. But the Holy Spirit is the one who makes grace known to us today. The prophets were curious. They they inquired of the things that they even heard and understood. And they, they were trying to figure it all out. They were trying to put together the puzzle pieces of this life. Just like you and I do when we face suffering or trial or hostility or opposition. Just like you and I do, the prophets were trying to make sense of all of the pieces that were coming together. The prophets help us understand that our salvation is all of grace. Notice it doesn't give this list of qualifications to receive this grace. It simply says this, believe in him. Believe in the one that you don't see now. It doesn't say that you should come from this kind of lineage. It doesn't say that you should make this kind of income. It doesn't say that you should have this kind of credit score. It doesn't add any of the socioeconomic things that can be so highlighted in this disordered order of the world around us today. No, it simply says this, do you find yourself in need? You're qualified. Here is grace. Unmerited favor poured out on you it's it summarizes salvation for us that it's all of grace and it makes it 
helps us to understand how it is that this salvation and this grace will come to us through the suffering and glory of Jesus Christ. We live in an age that is very unique. I was listening to a podcast the other day and there was a philosopher on it. Uh, I'm not that smart actually, it was just a guest, just to be clear. But he said that you have ages throughout the ages. Profound, right? That, was, that part was me. You have ages throughout the ages, like the age of enlightenment. You have the age of industry. You have the gilded age. You have the age of steam. And you have all these different ages. And it's how historians work to kind of break things down and help us to understand what time are we living in. And this philosopher in that moment, he said, let me propose an age that we live in today. We live in the age of feelings. I don't like this age. I'm sorry, I feel like I don't like this age. I don't want to I don't want to discount feelings. I don't be led by them either. And yet it made sense to me when I heard that. I was like, that Is that good? doesn't feel right you know what scripture tells us the age that we live in we live in this privileged age of promises kept by the God who made them if we look back to the prophets of old we see them fulfilled in Jesus Christ and that should give us hope and faith of that promise being kept that promise coming to the fulfillment in the day to come you and I while we may live in the worldly age of feelings, live in the age of the biblical promise kept. That's good news, church. That feels right. And it should inform the way that I respond to different things that I face in this life. How is it, that's how it is through the prophets that he shows us historically this privileged age. But we're not just privileged in history We are privileged throughout the cosmos. How do I mean that? The angels long to see what you and I experience in redemption. Look at the last verse from our passage this morning. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. This is the prophets. In the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. How? By the Holy Spirit, the one sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What you and I are experiencing in this age is the goodness of God that the angels just want to get a glimpse of. The the word that's used there is that they are straining to peer inside from outside. They are outside of this redemptive work. And yet they long to see what it is that the Lord is doing in you and in me. As I close today, I just want to draw our attention to a couple of things. And then we're going to rejoice together in a baptism. I want us to see that all of us are on a quest for joy. 
When scripture says here that there is rejoicing and that there is joy, how many of us see that and we think, I would love joy in my life if only I weren't facing all of these things. You know, that, that's as common to man as suffering is. You don't have to be a believer in Jesus Christ to understand that we are on a quest for joy. That's something that all of us give ourselves to. The world does it in their own ways. And Christians are called to do it in this way, to understand what it is that we are walking through and how it is that God is using that for his glory. So where is it that you find joy today? Where is it that you find your joy? Is it in the ups and downs of your circumstances? Is it in the inflation or deflation of your accounts? Is it in how rich your family seems to be and their relational connectedness? Where is it that you find your greatest joy? Scripture is going to wriggle us free of the joys of this world and call us to a joy that can only be found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. What about worship? Not just joy, but we all worship something. We all worship something. Yesterday I saw a commercial for VRBO or Verbo or whatever it is. And it showed this college student sitting at the table kind of like thumbing with her food and said, vacation rental with your five family members. She couldn't wait to get out of there. Or a weekend away with 105,213 of your closest friends. And there she was in a stadium, cheerful, joyful, celebrating with her fellow students at a football game. What a unique juxtaposition of the world around us today. What are we worshiping? What are the things that we find our joy in? What are the things that our affections are driving our lives toward? See, we worship what we love. What I think is tragic about that commercial is it shows how many of us look at our families and don't love. And yet we'll call 105,213 our chosen family. But in the midst of that heartbreak, we realize we will worship what we love. We will give our time, our talent, our treasure to those things. So what are you worshiping today? Is the Lord drawing your attention away from whatever it is that you've been worshiping and calling it back to be fixed on Him? What about the sufferings that we'll face in this life? We will all suffer. The question is this, how will we respond to that suffering? Church, can I tell you today, as sure as this, the testimony of Scripture is very simply this, that our path will be the same as Jesus' path, that there will be no crown of glory to come without a crown of thorns in this life. Oh, but there is a day coming when we will be crowned in glory and we will take that crown and we will throw it at the feet of the one who saved us. Scripture actually uses this phrase that we will be praised for our faithfulness. That doesn't mean that Jesus is going to turn around and worship us. It just means that he's going to say, look at what happened in your life. 
This is what calls us to respond and to submit to the testimony of Scripture. Not so that we can have some kind of happy life, but so that there is coming a day when Jesus will be glorified by the life that we surrendered fully to him. How will you respond as you walk the path that Jesus did? As you earn the crown of glory by bearing at times in this life the crown of thorns. Can I pray for us, church? Can we stand together? Father, I pray today, those gathered here, those who are currently suffering, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use this message to minister to them, even in this moment. Father, for those who are in year two or three praying for a miracle, I pray right now that you would intervene and show yourself strong. Lord, I pray that more testimonies like Chris's would come even from today for doctor's appointments that happen tomorrow. I pray that our suffering would not cause us to become faint in our souls. I pray for the Holy Spirit to give strength. I pray for the gift of faith, not just saving faith, but sustaining faith to the people who are gathered here today. Those who are gathered here want to glorify you with our lives. Holy Spirit, we recognize we cannot do that by ourselves. We just sang it a few moments ago. We need a fresh wind. Life seems stale. Holy Spirit, come fill the sails that we might live for you. At the end of the day, may no one recognize us. May everyone see, look what the Lord has done.